Let's say a quick word of prayer. God, Holy Spirit, as we come to your word, help us to not only hear your word, but also be doers of your word. Help us to set aside our worries and anxieties and preoccupations to be attentive to the Spirit's voice, what the Spirit is saying to us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first course that I did in my theology studies is called Biblical Theology. And it was one of those light bulb aha moments for me. The whole course was designed upon a conviction that the Bible is fundamentally a one coherent, unified, grand narrative, a big story, a cosmic story that reveals God to mankind. And the big idea is that the 66 books of the Bible have this Holy Spirit-inspired supernatural coherence and connection that together they make up this one biblical story. In fact, the textbook of the, for the course is called The Drama of Scripture. The biblical story is like an unfolding drama that performed in God's terms and on God's stage, and that's create, the created universe. Now, Bible scholars have identified six main acts in this biblical drama. Creation, fall, that's the fall of humanity, Israel, Jesus, church, and the new heavens and the new earth. The drama progresses chronologically, but all these six acts are connected and feed into one another thematically and in many other ways. And so today we come to a small climax in this drama. As the most important figure in the Old Testament comes, appears onto the scene. And that's the debut of Moses as the heroic leader in the Exodus story within the wider story of the nation of Israel. You'll remember the third act, the story of Israel starts in where? A quick quiz for your biblical knowledge. Starts from Genesis chapter 12. Yes. When God calls out Abraham and later makes a covenant with him and his descendants. And years later, as the story moves on, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, or Israel, brought his entire family to Egypt to escape a great famine. And, and also Jacob was reunited with his long-lost son, uh, Joseph. And Joseph, at the time, was the beloved prime minister of Israel. So the Pharaoh welcomed them, and the Egyptians also didn't make a fuss about them coming to live in Egypt. And Joseph made sure that his Hebrew family was well looked after in this foreign land. Some 430 years later, however, the Israelites had grown tremendously in power and number in the foreign land, just as God had promised Abraham that they would. And the new Pharaoh and the Egyptians were threatened and scared by their growing presence. So they started to oppress and mistreat the Hebrews very badly. So the Hebrews cried out to God for help. God heard them. He remembered his covenant with Abraham. And when the time had fulfilled, God was going to rescue 
his covenant people out of this grave bondage. Now, in this rescue plan, it pleased God to appoint a human leader to act on his on his behalf, and that's where Moses comes into the scene in Exodus two. So, without further ado, let's meet Moses. We'll look at the whole chapter of Exodus two、uh, through three small stories. Um, in terms of Moses' transformation, we'll look at how Moses turned from a helpless victim to a privileged Egyptian in story one, and then from a privileged Egyptian to a self-appointed rescuer in story two, and then from self-appointed rescuer to foreign shepherd in story three. You still awake? You still with me? Good. If you have your Bible with me. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Exodus two. We'll look at verses one to ten first. The first story. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you?" Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Yes." So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you wages." So the woman took the child and nursed and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, "I drew him out of the water." This first episode tells us the birth and the exceptional survival of Moses. We know that Moses was born of Levite parents, and he was one good-looking baby. And that's a good enough reason to save your baby, right? Because he's beautiful. But Pharaoh had commanded all his people to throw any newborn Hebrew boys into the Nile, in order to prevent, in, in order to stop them from further growing in number and power. So Moses' mother hid him for three months, but eventually she had to give him up. But not without one last attempt to save a boy. And we see a big irony in this story, don't we? As the most powerful man in the known world. Pharaoh, his murderous plot was thwarted by five women, who, as a whole, had very little power in the ancient world. You remember, first there's the two Hebrew midwives who feared God more than Pharaoh and allowed the Hebrew boys to live to be born, and then there's Moses' mother who tried her best to save her boy, and then now there's Pharaoh's own daughter, who went against her father's decree. She not only let the baby Moses live, but also adopted and raised him in Pharaoh's own court. And lastly, of course, there is Moses' sister, 
the unsung hero in the story. She bravely grasped the opportunity and talked Pharaoh's daughter into a workable plan that benefited not only the baby, baby Moses, but the whole family. And the result is that Moses' mother was paid to raise her own son in the Hebrew community for a few years. And then probably after the boy was weaned, he was taken to live in the Egyptian world. And all this, of course, was through God's mysterious providence to move his story forward. One can almost hear God sneer at Pharaoh, can you? You think you are the big man here. You think that you can get your way by power and a threat. But I'm going to shame and embarrass you with five women instead. See, who is the big man now? You see, I often find God has a mischievous sense of humor in the face of human pride and arrogance. As the Apostle Paul would say later, that God uses the foolish and weak things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. Now, in this case, these five women saved the day. It was not the first time women saved the day, and certainly will not be the last time women will save the day. And since last next Sunday is the Mother's Day, did you notice? I just want to say a quick Happy Mother's Day to in advance to all of you wonderful mothers there. Raise your hands if you're a mother. Good. Yes. And uh, Happy Mother's Day. Just rest assured that your heart, your sacrifice, your hard work in the home and, and in the workplace will not go unnoticed. Certainly not before God. And, but you can say a hooray because the school holiday is finished as well. I can understand that too. <clears throat> now this story also hints to us that Moses has hero written all over him. The remarkable story of his reversed circumstance foreshadows a remarkable future hero. But no one is a real hero until God allows him to be. So let's see what happens to Moses next. Turn to your Bible, second story, verses 11 to 15. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his king's folk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. This second episode is crucial for understanding who the adult Moses is in his raw nature and how God intends to mold him into the right kind of rescuer, leader that God desires. You see, the Acts passage that James just read tells us that after being adopted, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the, of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. It goes on to say that when Moses was 40 years old, he went out and visited his people. 
sometime during Moses' life in the Egyptian world, he found out about his real background. He came to know that he was a Hebrew after all, the oppressed and despised people in Egypt. He probably knew about his biological family as well because when God later told Moses to find help with Aaron, his brother, Moses didn't say, wait a minute, who's Aaron? He simply knew who Aaron was. He knew about his biological family. And he must also have struggled with his new identity, this new discovery, and struggled with this double identity. A struggle familiar to many second-generation immigrant children, which many of you are raising at the moment. At some point, these children in their life will wrestle with this question, who am I really? Which culture do I identify with? According to my observation, they are not 100% comfortable with being a Kiwi, nor are they 100% comfortable with their parents' immigrant culture. They will inevitably be lost for a while. But then, if they want to come back more confident, more self-assured, then they will come to their own resolution and be at peace with their resolution. And that's exactly what Moses did. He chose to identify with his kinsmen, forfeiting his Egyptian privileges. Hebrews chapter 11 and 24 and 25 tells us that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. But Moses did more than just settling into his new identity. He went one step ahead of God. Now that he came to realize the Israelites' plight in Egypt, Moses self-appointed himself to be their rescuer, even if it means killing someone and hiding his sin. And it is here that we get a glimpse of Moses as a raw person. We can see that he has a strong sense of justice, and he's eager to prove his solidarity with the Israelites, all very good qualities. And that's why he jumped to defend the mistreated Hebrew, but unnecessarily and unlawfully killed the Egyptian. Under all these good qualities of his was the dark side of his raw nature. He was angry. He had a resentment. He was presumptuous. He was reckless and violent. He was too eager to make himself as the rescuer of his own people. When he tried to reconcile those two quarreling Hebrews, one guy questioned him, who made you ruler and judge over us? It is a very revealing question. And the only answer to it of course, it's that Moses has made himself the ruler and judge over them. Acts 7.25 says that Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. He thought they would recognize his authority, but no. God hasn't called Moses to do anything at this point. God knows that this raw Moses is far from being ready. And the people were also not willing to follow such a person as their leader. 
So Moses fled to the medium, a place of desert, a place of wilderness. He fled because, of course, Pharaoh wanted to kill him, but more important, because God has much molding and shaping work to do in him. The Bible says that the Bible says that Moses is set down by a well, and that means he settled temporarily as a fugitive by a well, a crucial source for surviving in the desert. How long he lived at this location, we don't know. But now he is a fugitive, rootless and bewildered. No longer a privileged Egyptian. No longer the self-appointed rescuer. Only a refugee, only a fugitive in the wilderness. But soon, God is going to change his circumstances yet again. Are you still with me? Let's move to story 3, verses 16 to 22. Let's how God continues to mold Moses to be the right kind of rescuer. 16 to 22. Where am I? The priest of Midian has seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. When they returned to the father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come back so soon today? They said, an Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he? Why did you leave the man? Invite him to break bread. That means have dinner with us. Moses agreed to to stay with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah as in marriage. She bore a son. And he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. After being a ruthless fugitive for some time, Moses' circumstances changed again. This time, his strong, innate sense of justice, justice came to his aid. Moses came to the defense of the daughters of Ruel, the priest of Miriam. But what's different this time is that Moses exercised restraint in his rescuing. He achieved justice without giving in to violence. And he was kind to some foreign, vulnerable woman. And that's a real improvement from last time he did this, wasn't it? He has matured. As it turned out, Moses ended up marrying one of Ruel's daughters and began working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. He settled into a domestic life. He has put the old motherland of Egypt and all the plight of his kinsmen at the back of his mind. The Jewish tradition believed that Moses continued this life in the wilderness for another 40 years until God called him out of the burning bush when he was 80. You see, like Jesus, this was Moses' wilderness experience. It was a time of wrestling with his raw nature and being molded by God. It was a time of being broken down by God and being rebuilt by God too. As he matured in age, he also matured in spiritual and emotional stature. One commentator says this of God's molding of of Moses during this crucial time. She says, The first lack of Moses' journey as a leader then was not to lead anyone else anywhere. It was to allow himself to be led into freedom from his own bondage, his raw, dark nature. Before he could lead others from freedom, he needed to experience freedom himself. Yes, anger and the need to prove himself through the misuse of power 
would, would probably always be temptations for him, but they would never again be his normal and accepted mode of operation. That is Moses. Who are you? What is your dark side? What is the thing or the things that God needs to shake up in you? God needs to rescue Moses first from his raw nature before Moses can be a useful instrument for God and to rescue his people. And that is why at the end of this chapter, we see that God, not Moses, as the sole actor and initiator of the deliverance of the Israelites. It was God who heard their groaning. God who remembered his covenant with, with uh, Abraham and the patriarchs. God who looked upon them. God who took notice of them. God was trying to rescue them. Not the unready for Moses. Then when God is about to act, he calls Moses, who now has matured into the right rescuer, finally, that God desired. Soon Moses will find himself whisked out of the comfortable domestic life in the obscure desert into the stormy center of God's cosmic battle in chapter 3. And that's the story of Moses so far. But what can we learn from all this? You may say that I have nothing in common with Moses. You know, Moses was destined to be one of the one of the heroes in God's grand story. Maybe some other Christians are heroes in God's story. People like Martin Luther King Jr., people like Billy Graham. I'm just me. I'm a nobody. I'm just an ordinary Christian. But did you notice that God's unfolding drama that we talked about earlier has an unfinished act, Act 5, the church. You see, the New Testament preserved the beginning part of Act 5, the church. You remember that? The birth of the new church in Acts and all the epistles in the New Testament. And we know the happy ending of the New Testament, the new heaven and the earth, the, the, happy, the happy ending of the, of the whole story, isn't it? But the part between the New Testament and the new heavens and the new earth is missing. And it is our responsibility. It's every one of us's responsibility to fill the missing part. Every generation of Christians, every church, every individual Christian is called to play a part in God's grand story. You are not called to be a passive spectator in the audience, sitting there looking at someone speaking to you. Every day you are called to be an active, active player in this story. The story is to be continued in your own life. And you can do that right here where you are, from this church, from your town, on your street. And lastly, if we can take anything specific from Moses' early stories, it is this. That God desires obedience and a godly character in us more than anything else. Just before the service, a brother, right here in, this, in, our, in our midst, she told, he told me about a story how he discerned God's will and obeyed God. It was, it was a sacrificial cost. It really touched me. And you know who you are. 
here. And that's the sort of things that God desires in us. Obedience and a godly character. You see, to be a true hero in God's story, one needs to obey God and become more like God. Rather than just being someone who is powerful in speech or action, as Moses was before his wilderness conversion. Because if, if you're just someone who is powerful in speech and action, it means nothing to God unless you have obedience and you have a godly character. So my charge to you, my brothers and sisters today, is to pray every day, ask every day, ask God every day for your wilderness experience. Ask Him to change your heart, to empty you of your empty, of your, div- your own device, independence and your pride, to fill you with obedience and character, to turn the half-hearted religiosity for an all-consuming passion for discipleship so that you can be all in for God and for God's story. And then you will also be considered a hero in your God's eyes. Let's pray.